Good morning. It's good to see you. You look great. I love what you've done with the place. Wow. Well, it's really good to be back. I bring you uh, greetings from Jody and uh, Alex and Margo. It's hard to believe that uh, we have been, uh, we have been uh, away now for, for five years. That's, that's hard, to, hard to imagine, and, uh, uh, but uh, also really good. Uh, let me also just thank uh, Pastor Jeff. I don't know if he's in this service or not, and the Servant Leadership Council uh, for the invitation uh, to be here. I, um, I also am just so um, uh, humbled and honored to follow uh, the founding pastor of Gayton, Daryl Boggs. Daryl's a really good guy. And one of the things that I have always, always cherished uh, when I was here uh, was the opportunity to build on uh, the legacy that Daryl laid here and to stand on his shoulders. And I always told him uh, that we stand on your shoulders and those of the, the founding members. And so uh, it's just good to be here. It's good to see um, what God is doing. Well, have you ever come across one of those verses in the Bible that you uh, just probably just blew by constantly, you know, just didn't think about it. You maybe thought it was sort of one of those transition verses, um, but then all of a sudden it just jumps out and it grabs you. And uh, I, I've had that experience lately uh, with this one verse. It's at the very end of uh, John's uh, first chapter. So in the first chapter of John, uh, at, toward the end there, we see that Jesus is gathering up his uh, disciples and uh, he, he calls Philip and Nathaniel to, to follow him. And then he tells them this really stunning statement. He says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, can you just imagine what they must have thought when they heard that statement? That you will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending? N.T. Wright is one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite theologians. And he says in this, Jesus was establishing the reality that he is indeed the connection. That he is the connection uh, between heaven and earth. And that in him we see heaven and earth colliding, heaven and earth intertwined and coming together. And you know what? That's exactly what they saw. Right? They saw him change the water to wine. They saw him feed the multitudes. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. And this is all before his very own death and resurrection. Imagine that. Experiencing heaven colliding with earth. You know, my guess is that we would all, everybody in this room, everybody online watching today or watching later, by the way, welcome those who are watching online I think we would all say that we want our lives to be saturated with this idea that heaven could indeed intersect earth, that indeed heaven could invade earth. We want to know that there is something more than this physical life. We may not say it in those words, but deep down we feel it. Deep down we want it. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here or you wouldn't be watching online. Something more, something else. Heaven invading earth. 
Well, that's the subject of our text today. Let me invite you to turn or launch your uh, Bibles to John chapter 3. We'll just read the first eight verses of that great chapter. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We're going to take a look at when this guy named Nicodemus... Uh, as you saw in the, in the video there, uh, when he came and asked Jesus some pretty fascinating questions. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let me just get this uh, idea out on the table for us today. Uh, if this is your first time at church or first time watching, or, or maybe you've never explored the Bible much, or if you've read the Bible every day and you've been in church all your life, my guess is that when you hear that phrase, born again, First of all, it, it, it sounds familiar because it, it's enough in our culture to be familiar. And more than likely, you have equated this idea with being born again with the idea of being saved and going to heaven when you die. Is that, is that a fair estimate? I think it's a fair estimate. Let me just tell you the big idea, the thesis statement of where we're going today. Being born again does not mean less than going to heaven when you die. Not at all. It doesn't mean less than that. It does mean so much more. It means so much more. It completely changes the way you think about life. It completely changes the way you order your life and live your life. It actually has this possibility brimming within you God working through you that indeed heaven and earth can come together and collide within you. And you can have the life that God wants for you. I want to root around and just explore this idea this morning. But before we do, I I want us to get to know this guy who came to see Jesus at night. Let's look at Nicodemus for a minute. He had some pretty good qualities, to be honest with you. He was a Pharisee. Now, Uh, Pharisees are positioned in the Bible along with others as the antagonist of Jesus, and indeed they were. I mean, they tried to trick him and they tried to trap him theologically, but they also had some good qualities. I mean, they were earnest in their desire to know the law of God. I think we would all say that's a good quality, to know the word of God. They were earnest in their desire to follow the ways of God, although they're misguided in the way they attempted to do it. And Nicodemus was a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And and the Sanhedrin, maybe we would call that almost like the Jewish Supreme Court. And with the Sanhedrin, they had this incredible responsibility. Jews lived under Roman occupation. But the Romans allowed the Jewish religious authorities to have all authority in matters of religion and culture. 
And so it would be the task of the Sanhedrin to make sure that they checked out would-be prophets or it would be their task to make sure that they checked out people who called themselves messiahs because they wanted to make sure that another insurrection didn't happen or, or insurrections didn't happen and they wanted to make sure that the balance of power stayed. So they had a lot of authority in matters of religion and culture and they considered themselves responsible for such. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and that's usually the question people like to, to pursue for a moment with this uh, text. Why did he come at night? Why did he come under the cover of darkness? Well, it could be as simple as that's when, often when rabbis would dialogue theologically at the end of the day. It could simply be that. It could also be that Jesus had already started to, to be, become known and cause a stir and so maybe they didn't want another stir to, to be caused by Jesus, and so he went quietly at night. Or maybe, just maybe, he was curious. And he went undercover as part of his own journey. Maybe he was drawn to Jesus, but he didn't want to risk his reputation with others. As we continue to read his story in John, we only see Nicodemus a few more times. We see in, at the end of chapter 7 that he defended sort of the sense of due process for Jesus when Jesus was being asked a lot of questions. And we see at the end of John, after Jesus died, that Nicodemus carried 75 pounds. Okay, that's a lot. 75 pounds of spices. He carried 75 pounds of spices to a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And he helped Joseph anoint and prepare the body of Jesus for burial. And so we can get a sense here that maybe his heart is being drawn to Jesus. My point here is that we need to see the very human side of Nicodemus in this question. He's curious. He's respectful of Jesus. And as you can see, as this story rolls on, though, he just is really struggling. Maybe he approached the Jesus, maybe he approached Jesus the way some of us approach Jesus even today. Curious, but we're not sure we want to go all in. Respectful of how God has worked in the life of Jesus, maybe respectful of the reputation of Jesus, but not sure if we should elevate Jesus to divine status in our life. Drawn to the beauty and the vulnerability and the humanity of Jesus in such a way that we would defend him and defend his reputation. Maybe even do something as drastic as, as giving money to a cause like providing 75 pounds of spices. But not sure we're ready to leave everything behind to follow him. His story causes us to pause and ask questions of ourselves. I mean, we don't know what was going on with Nicodemus, but it does raise questions within us. Have we gone all in with Jesus, if you claim Jesus as your king? Have we elevated Jesus to his rightful place in our life? Are we ready to announce to the world in broad daylight, not under the cover of darkness? Are we ready to announce to the world that we love him and that we want to follow him. And so, back to our story, Nicodemus gives props to Jesus. Hey, I see God is with you. I see God sent you. Now, what do you think Jesus said? 
Do you think Jesus said something like, you know, thank you, Nicodemus. Man, when I turned water into wine and juice the party, I just felt God's power surging through me. Or do you think he threw off some sort of religious saying, you know, glory, glory be to God, hallelujah, and all that? No. Jesus basically said platitudes, schmatitudes. Now, you're not going to find schmatitudes in the text, I promise you. Don't email me, don't write me. Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see what God is up to in this world unless you've been born again. There's that phrase. Unless you have been born again. Now, this had to be a shock to Nicodemus. I mean, it was clear. He just didn't get it. Bless his heart. You know, have, have you ever just not gotten something? Somebody's telling you about it and you just didn't get it? There was this young guy who uh, was spoiled growing up and he was in his late 20s when he finally got married and his parents didn't do any work, any chores growing up, even when he went to college. His parents hired a housekeeper to, to clean his room and to do all his laundry. And he finally got married. He and his wife went on their honeymoon. They got back. They just dumped all their dirty clothes in the laundry room. And she said, you do the laundry. He said, I don't know how. She said, you figure it out. And so he looks at all these dirty clothes. He pulls up his favorite T-shirt. He's kind of frustrated. And he, he yells into the other room where his wife was, you know, how do I wash this T-shirt? She said, what does the label say? He said, UVA. That was a joke. I know you want to laugh behind your mask. I can hear you. At least the tech people are laughing. He didn't get it. But maybe we can understand why. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have thought he was okay because of his spiritual pedigree and his ethnicity. Because he, he would have thought he was okay because of his devotion to the religious routine. But here Jesus is saying, being one of his followers, being part of what God is doing on earth is not about your pedigree or your nationality. It's not about how you can run the treadmill of religious routines really well. It's not about being a good guy or good lady. It's not about your good deeds. Remember, from what we can tell, Nicodemus seemed like a pretty good guy. It's not about those things. After he gets over his shock, Nicodemus has a follow-up question for Jesus. And he says to Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I mean, that's a question of a lifetime. Isn't it? I mean, that's the question of a lifetime. We don't know his tone. We don't know if it was wistful. You know, how can someone be born again like he really wants it? Or we don't know if it was cynical. The NIV puts an exclamation point there. A lot of translations don't. So we, we, we don't know, but I'm telling you, it's a really good question. Have you asked that question? I want you to know this morning that if you've never asked that question, I hope you will. And I hope you'll ask it and ask it and ask it until the Lord reveals the answer. I hope God will even use our time together to reveal that answer to you. Well, back to our story. Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. Now, 
before we get to the question of how to be born again, let's take a, a, a brief look at the nature of the kingdom of God. Just a real brief look, summary look, at the nature of, kingdom, of the kingdom of God because Jesus connects them, right? Here's this kingdom, what God is doing on earth and, 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 and in heaven, and being born again is the only way you can see it. So it makes sense that we need to explore this just a little bit. After all, we want to know the life that God wants for us, the life God intends for us after we've been born again. Now, if you're someone who is new to the Bible, this concept of the kingdom of God may sound like sort of insider jargon, religious jargon. Let's face it. Even if you're not new to the Bible, you might know more about the magic kingdom than God's kingdom or Burger King. Let me offer a few. Okay, six, but I'll go fast. You can tick them off. Just a few characteristics of the kingdom of God, okay? One is this. The kingdom of God does not have geographical, national, or ethnic boundaries. No country owns the work of God. Isn't that great? There's this incredible image up in D.C. in the shrine of the National Basilica of Jesus. Just It's buff Jesus, by the way. He's been working out. But it's Jesus just holding the universe, Christ for the cosmos, Christ for the world. There are no boundaries to the kingdom of God. So where is it? It is in those places on earth where God's rule and way reigns supreme, in heaven as it is on earth. We see it in the hearts of men and women who yield their lives to Jesus. We see it alive in the church of Jesus. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, or some of you may know it by the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We confess that we believe that God's rule and way reigns supreme in heaven. And then when we say that, when we pray that prayer, we're saying we want God's rule on earth the way it is in heaven. And that is our mission as his people, is to bring heaven to earth. The fullness. So it knows no physical boundaries. Second, when you're born again, your desires and preferences for this world change. They change when you're born again. You're loosened from some of your attachments to this world. My physical birth certificate says I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina. The physical place where I was born shapes and impacts some aspects of my life. It shapes my accent, for example. I cannot pronounce the word B-O-I-L without people not from Greensboro laughing. I think a feast is pork soaked in vinegar with a side of hush puppies and honey butter, a 32-ounce Diet Coke, and a hunk of my mom's pound cake. I switched from sweet tea just to cut a few calories. Regrettably, where I was born, like all of us, brings with it hidden blind spots and biases from which repentance needs to happen. Hidden blind spots that need to be redeemed and made holy by the power and the grace of God. When we are born again, we receive a new spiritual birth address. The kingdom of God is our new spiritual birth address, and it impacts the way we see the world, and it shapes our desires. It shapes what you view as good and noble. 
It shapes what you value as sacred and worthy. It shapes your spiritual taste buds, taste and see that the Lord is good. For example, we want people today to turn their hearts to God, to yield their hearts to Jesus Christ and to worship God and adore him with their lives. We want the rule of God to impact how we live and how we think and how we see the world every day. We want God's rule and reign in the way we handle our relationships, in the way we handle our marriages, in the way we handle our parenting, in the way we handle our work relationships, in our thought life, in our hobbies, in our church life, in our finances. We want, as God's people, when you step into his kingdom, when you're given a new life and a new spirit, you're born again, we want to love our enemies And we want to forgive those who hurt us. It means that when we have a conflict in our relationships, we will seek peace and we will seek reconciliation because our God is a God of peace and our Jesus is the great reconciler. When you're born again, when you're loosened from your physical attachments to this earth and you're given a new spirit and a new heart and a new way of seeing things, it means you will also seek justice for all people. We will look at those who are on the margins of society and will do like Jesus did and bring them in to the center. We want God's rule to reign in such a way that there are no hungry bellies, that there is no violence, and that there's no war. I mean, think about it for a moment. There will be no hunger, no war, no poverty, no disease, no injustice, no racism, No division, no self-centeredness in heaven. And as God's people, when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that means we work for those things now. Now. Third, being born into this kingdom of God means you're loyal to the leader of the kingdom. And his name is King Jesus. Loyalty to him is above any other loyalty in your life. So if you're, if, if, if you're saying, you know, I think I might want to be a Christian, let me just say to you, God loves you and God wants you in his family more than anything. And when you come into the family of God, part of coming to the family of God is to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to receive your salvation, and it is to, to pledge your love and your loyalty to Jesus. I am his He is mine. Loyalty to him is above any other loyalty in your life. It is above your family loyalties. Just read the gospel. Jesus dissed his mother and brothers. They came wanting him. He said, who are my mother and brothers except those who do the will of God? It is above your ethnic loyalties. It is above your college loyalties. It is above your economic loyalties. It is above your political loyalties. We're in an election season again. Kind of happens every four years. It's just funny. It just keeps coming up. Well, you think it comes up here. You should live where I live. I've heard people on both sides of the election say they just don't know what they're going to do if so-and-so wins. Really? I know what Christians, those who are born again, are supposed to say and do. They're supposed to say, my king is Jesus. 
My king is Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus, the movement of Jesus, the work of Jesus in this world has gone through plagues. It has gone through wars. It has gone through polarized communities. It continues on. And no matter what happens with things on earth, what God's people say is, I will continue to serve him. I will continue to worship him. I will continue to adore him. He is my king. And I will continue to share with the world that God so loved this cosmos that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Fourth, being born again means we live in obedience to our heavenly father. We're sons and daughters of the king when you become born again. We can trust our heavenly father to provide for us and give us what we need to be faithful to him. And God wants us to live in joyful, glad obedience. Notice I said joyful, glad obedience, right? There's some Christians who live with obedience, but it's like, you know, they just have sucking on lemons all the time. We don't obey God because somebody tacked the Ten Commandments on the wall. We don't obey God because our parents made us sit in time out because we acted up in church. That happened to me in sixth grade. Me and my three other siblings, we acted up so bad, my mom made us sit and stare out of a bay window for an hour long after we got home before lunch to prove that we could sit for an hour. God rest my mother's soul, it didn't make me obey God anymore. When God has given you a new heart and a new life, you have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have this hunger and thirst to obey him. You want to please God because you love him. The other day, Jody and I were out on the Potomac River on a boat, and we were drifting fairly slowly by, and, and we could see this dog park on the shore, and I was just so mesmerized at this person just throwing a tennis ball and a golden retriever just jumping in the water and getting it and swimming back and jumping in the water and getting it and swimming back over and over. I, was just, I could have watched it forever. It's beautiful. It's amazing how our God made this creature this, to have the innate desire to fetch and to please his or her master. When you are born again, there is such a regime change, there is such a revolution in your life and in your heart that you're given the spiritual desire to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, and you want to live in joyful, glad obedience to him. Fifth, being born again means we are born into eternal life. Being born again is no less than being saved, as we have said, and going to heaven, but it is, means so much more. We're reconciled to God now. And we have the power to step into the life that God wants for us now and the life that God has for us for all eternity. Yes, we battle the flesh and often it can be an intense battle. But we know that we have the ultimate victory over evil. One day in God's time when we step into the other side of eternity, 
Oh, yes, it's going to be mysterious. Yes, it's going to be wonderful. Yes, it's going to be beautiful. Yes, it's going to be like nothing we've ever experienced before. But there will be some things that have to be familiar to us because we have already given ourselves over to his kingdom. At the very least, we will not see our Jesus as a stranger, right? But as a friend who told us that he will go ahead of us and prepare a place for us. So you can start living the life of the kingdom now. Lastly, being born again means that we have been born of the water and the spirit, as Jesus said in this passage. See, he said to be born again, you have to be born of the water and the spirit. What does this mean? Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to an expert in the Jewish law. When Jesus told Nicodemus that he can't enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water and the Spirit, this would have sounded familiar. It would have had echoes of Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. I I won't read it. But being born of the water represents God's cleansing of our sin through the blood of Jesus on the cross. We see this beautifully represented in our baptism. No, water baptism does not save you what it represents does the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for your sins it represents his cleansing of your sins and we're not just forgiven right being born of the spirit means we have the power of a living God within us that enables us to have victory over sin it means that the grip of sin no longer has power over us and we're enabled to follow Jesus in obedience by the grace and power of God. So summary, being born again means we've taken Jesus into the very center of our being, that we have awakened to the rule and the way of God in this world right now, and we're enabled to live in joyful, glad obedience for all eternity by the grace and power of God. So somebody asked me, how can I be born again? Being born again is not something You do. You can't say, hey, I think a goal for me in fall of 2020 is to be born again. I'm going to put that on the checklist. And and no, being born again is a gift from God that we open our hands and our hearts and, and we receive with gratitude. Remember, Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We are born again when God touches our heart through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and we yield in complete surrender and we say yes to that prompting. We say yes to the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Yes to the gift of eternal life given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me put it this way. Harry Emerson Fosdick, one of the most famous preachers of the 20th century, said that when he was a little boy, he used to look out of the window and he used to see the the wind moving the branches and and feeling the wind on his face. And he said when he was younger, he thought it was the branches that moved the wind. But then, of course, as he got older, he realized, no, it was the wind that moved the branches. One writer wrote, that's the way it works with our spiritual birth. There are things we can do to open ourselves up to God. We can pray, we can study, we can learn, we can ask questions. We hear the word of God proclaimed. We open our lives with a willed commitment to Jesus. But that's just the leaves blowing in the wind. The wind itself, the mover that moves our hearts is the spirit of God 
and how the Holy Spirit moves among our will commitment. Let me say it again. How the Holy Spirit moves among and intermingles with our will commitment is a mystery to our human mind. But he does. And he wants to move in you. Let me ask the band to to come back up as we close. And let me just ask you, if, if, if you've never really considered the question, seriously, have you been born again? That's not for me to say, but it is for you to know. And you probably do. You know if God has touched your heart, and you know if you have responded in submissive obedience. If so, this is so good. My guess is you also know if you've been pushing God away and resisting his call and resisting his invitation to being born again. You felt the tug of the spirit, but you've just not been willing to respond. Let me ask you a gentle question this morning. Why would you choose to remain spiritually dead when you could open your life to the spirit today if God is prompting you? and receive the wonderful and beautiful new life in King Jesus. I hope you will. I hope you will. Will you pray with me? And depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, I just want to offer us a couple of different prayers that that we can offer today to the Lord. If you have been born again, I want to invite you to, first of all, thank God for your salvation. Don't take it for granted. Praise him and thank him for saving you. Let me also ask you to pray that that you would ask God to, to help you to bring heaven on earth by his grace. That you're a person where heaven and earth collides, wherever you go, where you live, work, and play, where you go to school. Will you also pray if you've been born again for the friends and family members you know? Make a list of people you know who needs to be born again? And will you pray for them daily? If you have not been born again and you feel God's spirit prompting you, let me invite you to pray this prayer with me. Simply, dear God, I admit that I need you, that I'm spiritually dead without you. I know that I need to be forgiven and I believe in faith that Jesus died for my sins. I ask for your cleansing forgiveness today and I pledge my life and my love and my loyalty to you. I want to be born again today. Dear God, in Jesus, hear our prayers. Amen and amen. Let me just encourage you. If you asked God for salvation today, if you opened your heart to God today, let me encourage you to to speak to uh, one of the pastors here at Gaten or or one of the leaders. If you want to email me and talk with me about it, encourage you to, philipfag at gmail.com. I'll be glad to talk with you. I know the leaders here would be glad to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now the band will lead us.